Great Expectations for Global Perspectives. Today's guest speaker is Essam. He grew up in Egypt, studied medicine, then moved to Stockholm and now lives in Berlin. He shares his personal experiences with the bureaucratic hurdles involved in hiring non-EU staff. Essam is also involved in a project supporting Moldavian and Ukrainian women entrepreneurs affected by the aftermath of the Ukrainian war. I hope you enjoy listening. Well, hello, Essam. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course, thank you for having me. So, quick introductions. Who are you and why are you on the podcast? So, uh, my name is Essam. Uh, I'm originally from Egypt, but I've been living in, uh, in Europe for about six years now. Uh, first in, uh, in Sweden and then for the past year in, um, in Berlin. And why I'm here, I think, I mean, I can talk a little bit about my personal experience, but also mainly talk about the, the work, uh, the company or the organization that I work with and uh, the work that we do, particularly when it comes to one of our projects focused on um, um, Ukrainian entrepreneurs in Moldova. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're basically an expert on expat entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, so I'm super happy to have you and please tell us some more about your moving journey so far and where you're at right now. Yeah, as I, as I said, so I, uh, I grew up and studied in Egypt and I also worked for a few years in Egypt as a medical doctor first before switching to work more with, uh, entrepreneurship, uh, particularly with impact, um, and after a few years, I, uh, I found uh, a very nice master's program that I wanted to uh, study in, in in Stockholm that is called Masters of Bioentrepreneurship, uh, which is focusing on entrepreneurship and innovation in healthcare and life sciences. Uh, so I moved to uh, Stockholm uh, with, with that uh, kind of to study for that program, which lasts for two years. Um, and after these two years in Stockholm, uh, for uh, more personal reasons, I stayed longer in uh, in Stockholm. Uh, I had a small family there, um, and yeah, so I stayed there for five or six years in total. Before, with work, I like have a new role in in Berlin, uh, and I kind of relocated about a little bit more than a year now to Berlin, Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to um, bridge the gap here. You were a doctor before, right, in Egypt, but uh-huh. you then also decided to become an entrepreneur already there because uh-huh. you clearly didn't choose uh, another medical specialty to study in Stockholm. You went for entrepreneurship. What sparked your interest there? I, I think so. In Egypt, I was working for a uh, one of the biggest public hospitals in, in Cairo. Um, and while working in the hospital, I felt that I'm facing a lot of challenges and problems in like in my daily life as uh, as a medical doctor that require a bit of um, innovation and uh, like kind of looking and doing things a little bit differently. 
So this is why, like, that's what attracted me a little bit to uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. And this is why I decided to uh, pursue the master's program that I was referring to earlier, um, because it helps me bridge this gap and have this understanding, not only from a pure innovation and business aspect, but also focused on healthcare and the special requirements and the special circumstances and regulations that are related to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And have you ever thought about founding your own company or was it always clear to you that you would work in a context where you would help other founders? Um, no, I, I think it's, uh, it was and I did work for like a company that we established uh, ourselves also with a with a group of like a small group of uh, entrepreneurs and innovators in in Stockholm. We established a medical device company that uh, uh, that focuses on uh, patients with asthma and COPD. Like so, it was also like a medical device. It was hardware, and we worked with that for a couple of years. And I think that the team is also continue continually working on it. I'm not uh, involved in it as much due to my kind of other commitments. But I would not say that uh, like the idea itself is uh, not there. I think it's. I mean. I, I like the fact of what I'm doing because also I'm gaining the experience of. If and when I establish my own company, then I'm collecting uh, life and experience and uh, professional experience when it comes to that. So, no, of course, it's uh, still an idea at the back of the mm -hmm. mind, but it's um, it's about, you know, finding the right idea and the right time. Mm -hmm. And the right team, I suppose, right? Of course. Mm -hmm. So when you founded the company, the medical device company, you were part of the founding team in Sweden? Yeah. Was it... Um, difficult for you as a non-Swede to figure out what that process was like? Um, of course, because one um, one big challenge here when it comes to yeah, residency permits, the, the type of residencies that you're able to have are um, not that many. And for most, for like the, the the safest way, let's say, or the most common way, is through a a normal employment. And when you're establishing a new startup, like you're not able to fulfill the legal requirements of normal employment. Meaning, for example, there needs to be a minimum salary that you get every month in order to be able to to stay in a country with a employment visa. And when it's a startup, you typically don't necessarily have the luxury of having a um, stable salary from the beginning, especially as a co-founding team, because the co-founding team also tends to spend more time and energy into the company than they get out of it. Or that's kind of the, uh, that's a requirement, especially in the beginning. So even when we get, or when we got investments, we would rather use that investment into the development of the company or paying other people's salaries that help develop the company further than our own salaries as the founding team. So with, with that setup, employment residency is not really an option. And then you have like, there's a lot of regulations uh, or limitations towards how would a person get a entrepreneur um, residency and then as a non-european kind of it's uh, it's uh, it's a big challenge for sure and 
uh, we would not it would not be a possibility and so therefore in order to be able to do that you kind of have to have other grounds to stay in the country uh whether that's having another employment or yeah other if you're there with the family and so on but you you need to typically depend on um another source of uh another grounds for residency rather than the startup so it becomes a lot very difficult mm -hmm. so there's no entrepreneurship visa or anything like that in sweden as you know there it, there there is but the requirements of it is quite uh unrealistic as in you need to provide a, a a business plan for the migration office to assess which is already a little bit the migration office is not really a business agency so how well they assess a business plan and then they also measure or assess your um um extension or stay based on how well you're keeping up with the business plan which also doesn't really go well with um being a startup that means that you need to change things as you go like so you submit a business plan and then in two years they're like okay but according to your business plan you said you will do blah 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 but things have changed within these two years um and i think they also ask for a um a big sum as savings that you have to ensure for them that you are able to kind of uh, pay for your own expenses for two years basically in advance mm -hmm. so i i think like when going through these requirements it it was not really uh a, a, an option that many can can have and um uh, and that is also clear from the statistics like i don't have the numbers off the top of my mind now but i but i remember reading like uh the number of residence permits that is issued by sweden uh according to the different types and this type was more or less the bottom of the of the list like the least amount of people are able to stay with that mm -hmm. visa and that showcases like the um that it's not very convenient to go with let's say mm -hmm. yeah i mean by the sounds of it it doesn't sound very practical to have an immigration office evaluate business or financial plans at all um how unfortunate did you find another way to find um a permit um no i continued with my uh like i continued with my as i said like other grounds for residency so i i just continued my work my full-time work as is and i was staying kind of with that and then anything that i'm doing uh for the startup was more or less in my free time uh after a full-time work and um, so and that was kind of a challenge then between like with me and the rest of the founders that they are able to put more time into uh the company than i am because i need to have the full-time job uh, as well um next to anything that I do with the startup, which mm -hmm. they didn't have to do that because they, they it was not tied to residency for them. Yeah, that is a, yeah. a hard situation to be in. Um, but very interesting uh, the way you, <laughs> you explain it. Um, now that you are on the other side, you're on the company side and you actually help expert founders. Um, do you see the same hurdles lift through other people again, or do you feel like you can empathize more with people going through this because you've you've been in this situation before or you've seen it? 
I mean, um, of course, and that kind of applies into two directions. So first, within the company in my current role, I'm able to, um, since I have to go the, through this process myself, I'm able to kind of empathize and understand a little bit more the bureaucracy that is needed from the employer side towards like other non-EU employees. Um, and that uh, it, it does require a lot or some more effort from the employer as a company or as an organization to put into hiring non-EU staff, but that uh, is in the end worth it for the, the diversity that you're able to do and have in the team and kind of the value behind that. So, but that's from an employer side in my current role, but also working with then entrepreneurs in the different countries. And again, particularly this, the project FEME, we call it, um, that we're running that supports uh, Moldavian and Ukrainian women entrepreneurs in, in, in Moldavia. Mm -hmm. Then I'm able to also kind of understand the, the challenges that they have there. Um, and I think after, after, the, after the war, uh, the Russian war in Ukraine, um, many countries opened their, their doors and kind of lifted a little bit of the requirements uh, for Ukrainians to be able to enter Europe. So that I think uh, um, at least there was an understanding from the migration offices throughout Europe and the Western world overall to kind of open their doors and lifting up some of the rules and regulations that uh, have otherwise existed um at least initially but then when uh, when they're staying for a longer time in Moldavia I know then they need to kind of switch uh types of stay and so on and then there is a little bit of there was always a little bit of challenges with opening a bank account and and, and things like that and these are the small things that uh, you might not think of but uh, can become quite uh, cumbersome to mm -hmm. deal with Let's go back a step again. Can you just outline the project a little bit? It's women, yes. Ukrainian women coming into Moldova um, through the war or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. So you'll probably cut this and put it in the beginning. Uh, it's okay. Uh, so uh, in impact, we have started the project uh, end of uh, last year, end of 2022, that is focused on um, uh, kind of counteracting the economic effects of the Russian war in Ukraine. And we do that particularly through working with and supporting 75 uh, female entrepreneurs and business leaders, uh, both Ukrainian and Moldavian in Moldavia. What does this program kind of in entail or include? Uh, it has a uh, training um, aspect that kind of walks through uh, different topics that are important for people to be able to run their businesses in Moldavia, as well as kind of redirect and pivot their business uh, into the current uh, reality. Because of course, many, many businesses lost uh, employees that they still working in Ukraine or they're kind of with the war and so on. They also lost a um, market access, whether from a supplier side or a demand side. Many, many, uh, many of these companies were getting certain supplies and so on through Ukraine or from Russia, and that market is now closed. Or they had a lot of Ukrainian and Russian um, customers, and that is also now 
lot of possibilities. So a lot of them uh, have to kind of reposition their operations more towards the, the EU or opening new markets for themselves either way. Um, so we're giving kind of trainings in that and a little bit support, but also we facilitate like networking and peer learning amongst themselves, amongst this, the group of 75 uh, people there. And as well, we provide them with um, office space and monthly financial support and a budget uh, that they're able to kind of um, sustain themselves and kind of help them bridge this gap until they are able to reposition their business uh, to, to survive these economic effects. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a really cool project. Yeah. So when you, when you help these women with your trainings, are there any, they're clearly expert entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs finding their way through a lot of hardships. Um, do you see any any hurdles that keep reoccurring in this in this system of moving with you said a bit about the migration with the bank account and like small things you don't really think about so much? Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, the bank account example is very clear in my mind because that was a big struggle that we had with many of the Ukrainian entrepreneurs that we were uh, working with that they are not, they were not able to or it was not a smooth process for them to open a bank account in Moldova, even though it was easy for them as individuals to enter Moldova initially. As I said, there was a little bit of easing of restrictions, so it was easy for them to enter Moldova. But once you plan on staying and working and establishing your business and, and so on, then different elements from the, you know, the, the how, how one operates in a country comes into play and banks for example then needed like uh, other sorts of proof or they were not open to opening bank accounts to uh, ukrainians um and which which uh, severely hinders their ability to run business then out of moldavia um, and we had to kind of get in touch with certain banks to kind of um to try to kind of support their application for a bank account in a way um, so that is definitely a challenge as well as, of course, there are many challenges when it comes to um, employment, uh, understanding the, the, the rules of a new country that you're in, that uh, you suddenly have to kind of uh, be in and operate from uh, with, uh, with limitations, a little bit of the availability of this information publicly and in a language that others can understand. Um, and that is that is not only unique to Moldavia, and I think they're doing such a great job actually as a government to try to, now they're working a lot on having old forms for uh, taxes and business registrations and so on in English and to be available uh, digitally. But this also applies to Germany. Germany doesn't have many of the uh, forms and so on that you have to fill in English and also the time you have to deal with it in German and so on. So, um, yeah, it's uh, running a business makes you um, deep in the law and, uh, and, and like to understand so many different moving pieces and then um, the availability or like of all this information and forms and bureaucracy in a language other than the, the native language is uh, most of the time not there, which, yeah, it makes people either, makes 
migrants or refugees and so on either uh, hinder to be able to start their own business or they start their own business, but they're actually not following the law of the country that they're operating from because simply out of them not knowing mm -hmm. that this is required, that this is needed. Do you also help um, governments um, with the with the intel that you gain from working with the Ukrainian women in this project? We 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 don't have such a strong uh, policy and advocacy uh, component in our project, at least so far. Uh, but previously, we we do developed uh, we do develop like uh, reports based on the learnings from these projects, but we don't kind of uh, advocate so so much further uh, with the governments to implement these changes. Mm -hmm. And when you say, um, I mean, there's always like a huge part about bureaucracy and systems, opening a bank account, finding out the working laws, and like even. The bureaucracy of just founding a business is hard. Um, there is another big aspect that you mentioned where the language comes in a little bit. Um, I would say it's the cultural one. Would you uh -huh. say that um, culturally it's very different for Ukrainians moving into Moldova or finding their communities? I mean, now I'm assuming there must be a larger community, but generally getting a foothold in a new country, you have to you know, leverage uh, your network and, you know, get a foothold with um, support groups and communities, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the, the, the challenge here as well is, um, well, the, the language is, of course, uh, one, one big uh, issue, but also, um, yeah, the, the style of work and, as you mentioned, the culture is different amongst different countries. Uh, of course, Ukraine and Moldova, they kind of a little bit at least same cultural group, um, also being uh, kind of close neighbors. So um, th there might be some understanding or common understanding, but there is also there is always subtle differences between uh, different countries and different people and so on that you need to uh, be aware of as you as you move. Um, but also like we've had like our program had very specific uh, requirements uh, for people to be eligible for that for that project. Uh, but we've had many more applications um, that were not like a perfect fit, but you could see that the, the willingness there. For example, peeling people who, Ukrainian uh, refugees who recently moved to uh, Moldova and would like to start their own business because before there used to be employees in Ukraine, but uh, they they don't feel that they are not due to the lack of uh, language and uh, like language capabilities of speaking Romanian and so on. For example, they would like to start their own business instead. And as you said, since there is a bigger community of Ukrainians uh, now in in Moldova and in neighboring countries. Um, there is also a bigger uh, room uh, to start their own uh, businesses there, but that is not a focus on our project. Our project was focused only on people who had already businesses in Ukraine. So uh, they've already had established businesses there, but you could see a lot of these that they would like to do that. They would like to learn uh, about that, but um, 
yeah, as I said earlier, then they have even less support because even the support, at least for the people that we're working with, we're able to provide these trainings and we're where we will provide these trainings also like the content of these trainings publicly, but for them now, this knowledge does not, um, is not very easy for anyone to, to navigate on their own, for mm -hmm. sure. Because they're in an earlier founding stage and uh, need different kinds of support in, you mean, right? Uh, yes, but also, I mean, our mandate focuses on uh, helping businesses that were already kind of established and had a proven track record before the war to support them further and help them with the transition. But uh, our mandate, at least for this particular project, does not include people who would like to start a new business idea or uh, or have an idea that they would like to, to explore further. Um, are there any of these programs that are available in Moldova already for this kind of purpose, like for entrepreneurs starting out? Uh, I don't know every program that exists in Moldova. Yeah, okay, so you don't know that there is or uh, a project for sure to support entrepreneurs? And if I, so, I, there would still be a language barrier, I'm assuming, right? I, I believe there would be projects that is focused on that, uh, particularly, as I said, with the bigger move of uh, Ukrainians into Moldova. Um, but I don't know uh, exactly like how like how extensive and or how much available uh, these program would be for for everyone and their outreach also to be able to reach for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is fair enough. And then I'm assuming again, um, it it always reaches a certain type of culture, right? It reaches people who are already in these groups and know about these programs. And you kind of already have to um, maybe speak Moldovan um, and be able to communicate in the language the government is, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. So um, assuming much harder um, for Ukrainians um, or any kind of expats who <laughs> would like to establish themselves in Moldova. Um, but going back to the Ukrainians again, you said they're U Ukrainian and Moldovian women both alike in the in your trainings. How do you bridge the language um, uh, gap there, or is everyone <laughs> solid in English? Um, how do you do this? Um, no. So first, we we make sure also when we were doing outreach because, as you mentioned, we we wanted to kind of uh, step a little bit outside the uh, small bubble of um, people who kind of are able to join these programs back to back, or like where these programs are kind of catered to. So from the from out from our outreach, we try to make sure that we're able to reach people further than uh, normal outside of the capital. And also we made all the outreach mater material that we have available in four languages. So it was available in English, but also in Romanian, in Ukrainian and in Russian. Um, and and I think when it comes to the participants like and the trainings and so on, uh, even though it's uh, a lot more uh, difficult for us, but we also make sure that all training and emails and communications available in these four languages. So every email, we make sure that it's translated and every content and presentation that we deliver or they develop 
is translated into these four languages. So everyone is able to kind of participate or gain the knowledge in, in the language that they're most proficient in. Uh, as well as with the training, we do live translation also on the spot to all participants, both physical in, in the workshop room where we run these events and also available online to the people joining via Zoom um, into Romanian and into uh, Ukrainian. So it's uh, we've put a lot of uh, effort and money from uh, from our side to try to be uh, as inclusive and as accessible as possible. Because as you said, like we don't want to remain within the small bubble of people who are already proficient in English or already know that and, and kind of to, to be able to allow more people to uh, benefit from the program. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really cool that you go through all this hassle from your side, um, but I'm sure um, everyone in your program um, will really appreciate it. Um, so uh, very lucky people to join your, your classes. We're lucky to have them in another program for sure. Um, I think like it's, but the, the language is definitely like a, a, a bigger topic because Moldavians and Ukrainian uh, typically have a strong understanding of Russian um, for historical reasons, uh, but it was a like an important discussion point and decision that we have to do as well uh, with, okay, we should not take the, let's say, the easy way of just delivering the content in Russian and knowing that Ukrainians would be able to understand it and Moldavians would be able to understand it. And that also kind of uh, out of our understanding from the, like the Ukrainian entrepreneurs and the Ukrainians in general, um, and like how, how, like that it, it has a political, socio-political uh, element to it. Uh, so of course we understand that for certain Ukrainians and for certain Moldavians, Russian is their native language. And this is why our content is also available in Russian, but we didn't want to just assume or have the program only Russian speaking to, to keep in mind also and to be more accessible and to keep kind of the, um, inclusion element into it that uh, mm -hmm. people don't have to be forced to speak Russian if they would not like to. Yeah. Um, and going back to the community aspect, right? I mean, language is a huge part of community. Um, mm -hmm. But again, also is readjusting your whole business and customer segment from a Russian speaking market to a European market or um, and Middle Eastern or African or any other new kind of market, right? Um, mm -hmm. Do you help them by introducing them into new ecosystems or is it just strictly peer-to-peer -peer learning and the communities they already are in and leveraging them? Or how do you, how are your steps in helping them there? Um, it's uh, both elements. Uh, so first we have a, uh, a whole month or module with different experts and so on focused on uh, market access to the EU, also understanding the, the legal part, the regulatory parts to it, and the kind of the requirements uh, for them to be able to understand, as well as we have a different uh, component that is focused on 
uh, marketing and digital marketing, particularly when it comes to understanding new customer. Because for me, for example, when I when I go to Moldova or when I when I've seen the um, website or the social media uh, posts of the different com companies that uh, are part of our uh, program, you could see that there is a, there is differences in the approach of also how they approach digital marketing. What is the the style that works in the different countries and so mm -hmm. on? So we also kind of try to introduce it from 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 the let's say the hard facts to the soft facts. The hard facts being the law and the regulations and the stuff that you need to do into also the kind of how do you attract a different type uh, of customer or a customer that comes from a different. Uh, culture in a way so um and we have that via experts who are able to kind of talk and dig deeper into these topics but also from um them learning from each other and learning from the bigger community because some of these businesses have already kind of figured their way or have taken certain steps into working more with the european market so then they become like beacons of also kind of sharing their expertise with the rest of the participants, how how they were able to do that, what was their challenges. Oh, that's so nice. Sharing is caring, right? <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, also cool that you fostered a community amongst the participants. And um, just quickly to round off this uh, deep dive into your project, um, how long does it go for? Is are there any steps for afterwards where they can still, you know, get feedback or have access to resources or anything? Mm -hmm. So, um, so this project was actually like uh, is supported by uh, BNZ, which is the German Ministry for International Cooperation, and it was funded for about a year and a half or so, a little bit less, um, and. And the, the actual content of the project then lasts for uh, six months. So we also have a period after the program ends to evaluate and to continue other means of support to these particular 75, but also to the wider community in, in Moldova. Uh, and then based on these learnings and so on, then we enter kind of discussions again of uh, continuing and expanding and scaling up the, the project. Um, for the rest of the year. So this particular project uh, will end end of this year, end of 2023, and then we we start discussions about kind of continuing it further. Mm, that's so nice. Did it, did it um, have an effect on you as well? Did it inspire you to become more entrepreneurial again someday? Or, um, I mean, I absolutely love working with entrepreneurs, so the motivation always shines through. Um, and you've already been an entrepreneur, so um, how do you feel um, interacting with <laughs> with people like that on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's always great and like uh, infectious the the passion and the energy that the entrepreneurs have, and it wants you. It 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 keeps you. Um, on your toe in a way, because you want to match the, the passion and the energy that they have. So it pushes you to do um, even more and more. So that's that's always um, quite great. And uh, yeah, and particularly to do that when um, with a certain level or with this level of uncertainty that they're living in and to still be able to do that. I mean, running or starting your own uh, business and running your own business already carries a big 
burden, let's say, or already includes a lot of uncertainties as part of it. But to be able to do that also in an uncertain uh, environment just requires a special set of people, let's say, which mm -hmm. makes it uh, very motivating and very inspiring to, to work with. This is why I said earlier, I think it's a, it's a pleasure for us to have been part of the program. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like um, it's a very rewarding job as well. Um, I'm hoping there's more of these awesome projects to come because uh, um, it's always it's always so nice to foster entrepreneurship in, in different countries and help people understand um, systems wherever they go, um, the hard and the yeah. soft skills. Um, and I'm so looking forward what's next to come for you and what other projects you're going to um, you're going to be working on. Definitely. I've been uh, working with Impact for about uh, nine years now. And um, I'm still in, like, I still love the kind of the type of work and the impact that we're able to do and see since then. Mm -hmm. So I'm forward to it as well. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing. Is there anything you want to conclude with or um, give us um, a thought inspiration to people starting out their entrepreneurial journey in a new country? um thank you so much for uh like for talking it's always nice to kind of also talk about it because it it helps you kind of understand the um the full um value uh of it uh, a little bit more um and yeah i i'm, I'm hoping that uh, with such programs and in other countries and with countries trying to understand better uh the 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 role and the value that uh, migrants and kind of refugees are able to have like in starting their own businesses, having a different perspective into this uh, new country or a new market or new sector and so on. And the kind of the value that brings that so they help kind of bridge the gaps a little bit more and make it easier and easier as we go on. Mm, yeah, diversity is so enriching as well. So. Um everyone profits basically <laughs> yeah, and yeah of course it's so nice when you see your when you see your work being valued and um, people loving that you that you help them and you're appreciated so thanks for sharing your your thoughts and your expertise and um, so looking forward to new projects to come <laughs> thank you so much